As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Friday slash weekend headlines that we got to get through. The big one is the Glasnow trade is finalized and the extension is finalized. Four for 111 for a guy that's averaging, I think, fewer than 70 innings per season over the last four full seasons. We'll dive into that a little bit more. It was Tyler Glasnow and Manny Margot going from the Rays to the Dodgers in return for Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca. We also got a hit on the Kansas City freaking Royals actually buying into this thing. Max Scherzer is out for the front half of the year. It looks like he may be back by the All-Star break, which is when DeGrom and Tyler Malley are hoping to get back. Lourdes Gurriel is back in Arizona. Yoshinobu Yamamoto update. And we're going to play GM for the Rangers and the Seattle Mariners. The Rangers and the Mariners have already kind of gotten a head start on the GM thing this offseason, but the Mariners are going backwards. Like, we're catching them at the point where they've taken two steps backwards and we're going to try and make sure they take four steps forward. And I don't know if Jerry has that in mind, Jerry DePoto, but like, we'll see. Aram, nice win for your fins. Yeah. I've got a question. That Kadarius Tony like bobble, I'm sure you saw that. Mahomes threw it to Kadarius Tony and he bobbled it twice and then it was picked. Like, that cannot be on the quarterback. And, and like, they're never going to adjust that being an interception on the quarterback, but that just, we can't view that as a mistake on Pat Mahomes. No, I feel like football, you know, we talk about how like pitcher wins don't matter. I feel like there's got to be like a, a trend. I'm not as in the weeds in football, but I feel like there's got to be some sort of trend of like amongst the analytics community that like interceptions aren't a telling stat. Obviously, like if it's a 30 interception season, right. it's telling, but in terms of like 16 picks versus 12 picks versus 10 picks, like, 
I feel like it, it might be one of those things that people in the football community probably don't pay as much attention to as they used to. And uh, I know and I think it that's is the exact reason why I know it is, but like to our blind eye or somewhat blind eye, like a guy with five picks is more valuable than a guy with 10 picks. Yeah. And that's just one that Mahomes shouldn't have. Yeah. No, I mean, that guy's been giving them some trouble the last few weeks for sure. Bizarro. Um, I told you right before we hit the record button that I did not deem it worthy of much airtime that Jack Flaherty signed with the Detroit Tigers for a year. Is that fair? Did I make a yeah. good editorial decision? Yeah, it's a good editorial decision. I will say real quick, like 15 second thought on that as you just brought it up. It is a good spot for him to try to reclaim some of his his value, given yeah. that, you know, he could probably outperform, you know, some of the underlying metrics in that big ass stadium in Comerica. And, you know, it's cool to see the Tigers just try to add some more able bodies to that rotation. And, you know, now they have a lot of different options. So uh, I think it's a good opportunity for both sides. And if they suck again next year, flip them if yeah. he's anything. Two yeah. things that aren't, um, I don't know, affected by ballpark that I'm really looking at with Jack Flaherty are uh, innings pitched and fastball velocity. And those yeah. cannot be aided at Comerica Park. So I'm really curious how those two things <laughs> kind of come about. Um, and I think that those are the two questions for me. I mean, that's what it's all going to be about, right? So I'm rooting for him. I am because he is still young. Uh, and I mean, it, it seems like a good landing spot, but I, I can't believe it feels like since we last recorded over the weekend, just so many different things happened that this is really going to be one of those headline episodes where we're just going to bang through as many as we can and, and get to as many things as possible. For sure. Of course, the Just Baseball Show is presented by BetMGM. Um, use that promo code in our episode description. I know Peter has the whole read, but... Uh, we're very thankful for MGM in this holiday season. Um, let's jump into Glassnow and Manny Margot going from Tampa to the Dodgers for Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca. And pretty much what the Rays did is they swapped big money and two years of service for 12 years of service between Pepio and DeLuca. Johnny DeLuca is a guy that we've talked about on the call-up recently uh, mm -hmm. and on the Just Baseball show a, as a guy that – has a bunch of tools, had a really solid showing in Major League Baseball last year in a very limited sample, but is the classic Dodger farmhand that is really good at every level and climbs one level a year and is really good in high A in 21 and then double A in 22 and then triple A in 23. And then you just start knocking on the door. Think Ryan Noda with Oakland. Think Michael Bush right now too. It's just station to station he's been good. James Outman is a perfect example, and that guy has made himself an everyday player for the L.A. Dodgers moving forward. DeLuca, I'm not saying that he has the insane tools that Outman does. I don't know if he's an everyday player, but that's a good get for Tampa. And Pepio, if the flashes we saw last year are there to stay at all, that's a great get in this class now Margot deal. Yeah, and I feel like this is a great landing spot for Pepiot, who, you know, really has always had the fastball change up and started to see some improvements with a cutterish slider that he throws that maybe the Rays can kind of get a little bit more out of that because they seem to be able to preach, you know, that hor anything breaking horizontal seems to be improved and accentuated when they when you get to Tampa. And, you know, I, I always think it's a little bit lazy when whenever Tampa or certain teams add a guy and they just say, oh, congratulations, he's going to be the best ever. But Pepeo, it's never been a question about, it's never been a question about talent. It's just been about putting it together. And over his last 
eight appearances of the season last year at the big league level. He really put it together in the command department. He filled up the strike zone at a 67% clip. He threw his fastball for a strike 68% of the time. He threw his changeup for a strike 68% of the time. And then this cutter was effective for him, but it could be better. And if that pitch gets better for him, he's a middle rotation arm. So, yeah, is he going to give you flashes of glass now who, when healthy, can be a top 10 pitcher of the game in the game? Probably not. But he could give you more innings. He's under control for more years. And, you know, we knew that they were never going to retain glass now. So given how much glass now costs, you know, in, in one year, and given that that probably negated some of the value, Pepe out with years of control. Is it five years of control or four? I think so. Now. I think it's five. Yeah, four or five is, is extremely valuable. And then DeLuca... I mean, you look at what Manny Margot did the last few years. I know he's been banged up at points, and 2022 is a little better. But you can pretty much average out one in a, one point whatever in F4, right? A win and change over the last four years. I think Johnny DeLuca can do that very easily. With, with good defense, he can play all three spots. He crushes lefties. I think he's going to fit in and be able to take some of those left-on-left at-bats from Josh Lowe, be able to fill in if somebody gets hurt. And I think he ends up giving them as the same, if not more, production and value than Manny Margot, who cost them $12 million. So I think that side of it is really interesting, too. And I think the Rays, all, all in all, yeah, you lose your front, front, front line guy, but they're hoping to get some other guys back this year. Shane Boz, you know, some other really talented arms. We'll see it with you know the, the injury, I think, situations for some of their other really, really talented arms. It's kind of wait and see, but... Yeah, I think they're in a pretty good spot given, you know, the fact that they didn't have much to work with in terms of value of years of control and cost with a tower glass. Now I thought they made it out well. Yeah, no, Boz should be back. Taj Bradley should have ample confidence coming into this year because he went through his trials and tribulations in 2023. Here's to hoping those are in the rear view. We think that guy is exceptionally talented and mm-hmm. Bradley can be really good moving forward. And that may start in 2024. Um, the wait and see guys are Springs and Rasmussen. Uh, McClanahan mm-hmm. is likely to miss the entire year. That's my understanding of that. He may try and come back for an October push, but that is being incredibly optimistic. Yeah. Um, so Rasmussen is the interesting one to me because I don't think it was another Tommy John. I think it was an internal brace done because yeah. it was afraid UCL. It was not a, a, a completely torn UCL. Mm-hmm. So his timeline should be a little bit better. They do part with Glass now, who, like you mentioned, was their ace. He's coming off of a career high in innings, which is still, I think that was slightly over 120. I don't have the number in front of me. By the way, Pepio, five years of service remaining. That takes him through his age 30 season that the Rays have him under team control. Tyler Glass now is making 25 mil this year, and then he signed for an additional four years at $111 million. So you take that four for 111. Glass now is going to make $27.5 million a year. And again, the average innings pitched for Tyler Glass now over the last four full seasons, I'm not counting 2020, 68 and two-thirds. This is a crazy gamble by the Dodgers. And I'm going to call it a gamble. And this should make a lot of injury-prone starters do backflips seeing Glass now get this. Are injury-prone starters as talented as Tyler Glass now? No. There really aren't pitchers that are as talented as Tyler Glass now. That guy is on the count of one hand when it comes to sheer talent in a starting rotation. But when it comes to availability and war accumulation, this guy's nowhere near the top because he's been unavailable. And he's still yeah. got $111 million. 
They're paying for a what if right now. I thought this was a crazy gamble and a not very Andrew Friedman move. Yeah, it, well, it, you know, usually the the big splashes are the the Mookies, right? Or Freddie Freeman, the, the Otani's, the Otani yeah. who plays every game, even if he is TJ'd up. Yeah, that's where it's it's interesting. Look, I, I'm never gonna. It's not my money, so I don't care. But when we're talking about deferring money to be able to go add other guys, and then half of said deferred money is going to go to you know Tower Glass now, that's okay. But when half of the deferred money for half of the duration that the money is being deferred, meaning that you're committing to five years here of glass now is is the deal. That's where it's a little bit more surprising. And again, the Dodgers are, are rolling on the upside. They want to see if it all can come together and they can win a World Series that way. But I, I, I was trying to think what he would get on the open market. And I might be wrong. There's no way to know. We're kind of just speaking on, you know, what ifs, but is is a team giving him five years on the open market? Maybe, I, I guess, but I I feel like that's probably close to the best offer he gets. Right? Is is something along the lines of this? I get that part of the trade was you know it being contingent on an extension, and I know that that was important, and and you can't really put a price tag on that because you know once you get out into the open market, anything can happen. So that was the the help that the Dodgers were able to get out of this deal, but. You know, just five years at that is 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 crazy because if he does, and I hope he does, and obviously the game is better when Glassnow is healthy and throwing, yes. but if he does struggle to stay on the field, you know, in year one or even in year two, you're going to be staring down the barrel of thir- you know, almost $30 million a year or th- roughly 30 a year over the last three years where you're like, man, like this is really hard to, to justify and you're going to regret it. And then beyond that, the last year of the deal – is uh so it would be two more years i guess because then the last year of the deal is a club option at 30 million in 2028 when he's 34 years old and if they decline that it converts to a player option at 21 million dollars 21 and a half to be exact so the interesting side of that is if he's really really struggling to stay healthy he he's obviously going to just opt in at 21 million and take that as well so you really have him on the hook for another year after that that's the interesting side of it so it's 2024, 2025, 2026, 2027, then 2028 is that club option that really does convert into a player option that if the contract's a disaster, is not going to be a great deal for you. Yeah. Baseball is more fun when Glassnow is on the hill. Hitching Ninja has more to work with on Twitter when Tyler Glassnow is on the hill. Let's get that out of the way. He's not 27 anymore. He's 30. He's 30. And I, I wonder how this ages. And I know the answer is glass now when I say this, but I I just want you to think about 2024 for a moment. In 2024, who do you want to pay $25 million to? Tyler Glass now or Sonny Gray? Moving forward, it's glass now. If I were to give one of those guys a three-year deal, it's glass now because Gray is already 34. Glass now is 30. But 2024, who do you want to give 25 mil to? The guy that just threw 170 innings or the guy that threw 120 but has better talent? I mean, man, it's it's a really interesting conversation because beyond that, I mean, Glassnow was really good through stretches, but he wasn't perfect either. He had six earned runs, you know, in one start. He had a, a seven run, four earned in another start. He had six earned runs against Baltimore again. I mean, like there were some outings where he got roughed up a little bit. Overall, the numbers cumulatively were solid and he had some dominant outings to offset that. 14 punches here, 12 punches there. But if he's not absolutely dominant when he's on the field, then you're going to have a little bit more of that question too, because 
if he's giving you 130 innings of a 3-4 with big strikeout numbers, like that's not great. I'd rather have 180 innings of a 3-6. No, but but potentially 3-4, I think Sonny can give you that. But even if it's lesser, like I'd rather have 180 innings of a 3-6. And I'm looking at this Dodgers rotation and – they need a Kyle Gibson, bro. Dude, like they, they need somebody. They, yes. they need someone to just eat some innings because you look at that offense and I mean, they could get five innings of three to four run ball from whatever auto generated pitcher you want to name and throw in there. And they'll probably win most of those games or at least a fair, a fair portion of them. So I obviously think it's a great move because it's not my money. And if they're going to spend a lot more money, who cares? The upside here is enormous for a team that outside of 2020 has really struggled to, I think, get over that last little step in the postseason. Glass now can be the guy that does that. Also, they don't have that clear cut ace next year. Of course, Walker can be that, but he hasn't thrown in years. So like, it, it's also one of those things where it's like, let's have multiple guys who are capable of being an ace and hope that one of them doesn't. If they both do it, then we're in really good shape. So, you know, you have the upside potential this year to have Walker pitching like an ace and Glass now pitching like an ace. That's a great scenario to potentially have. Yeah. And I think they're just trying to put as many irons in the fire as possible to have that upside now because they know next year they'll have Otani and maybe May and, and other guys back and it'll really come together. But they need to take a shot at some upside in in this coming season because Freeman isn't getting any younger either. Neither is Mookie, and you're not going to find as much of an upside option as Tower Glass now outside of Yamamoto, who we know they're in on, and right. and some of these other top flight free agents. Yeah. So best case scenario is they get to the NLDS and they're running out a four man rotation of a healthy ace Walker Bueller, a healthy ace Tyler Glass now. Bobby Miller, who took another huge step in his sophomore season, and then Clayton Kershaw being piggybacked by Emmett Sheehan, a healthy Kershaw. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is last now is not healthy. Walker is already, you know, approaching 170 innings after he's missed the last two seasons, pretty much. Bobby yeah. Miller has some of those young pitcher, you know, issues exposed. And then you've got Kershaw, who's just not right, coming off shoulder surgery. There's a realistic world where I see both best-case scenario and worst-case scenario. And if something falls in the middle, I just don't know what Glass now looks like in that equation. Obviously, we're full of bias. I have a ton of confidence in Walker pitching like an ace. We have a ton of bias. I have a ton of confidence in Clayton Kershaw coming back and muscling his way to a 2-4. That's what he's done for the last half decade. But Glass now is the wild card here. And I know everybody wanted to immediately stamp the Dodgers as, oh, this super team, it's unfair what they're doing. Pump the brakes on that a little bit. The Glass now thing raises some concerns. Yeah, I think it gives you monstrous upside, which, you know, they needed in 24. But yeah, yeah, this thing isn't isn't wrapped up. And and we talked about that, you know, in the the other episode where it's just like uh, Peter and I were just saying like, enough relax if they get Yamamoto and maybe another piece like we'll talk about it <laughs> potentially being a super team but you know you still have a back half of the order that's Outman Chris Taylor Jason Hayward Gavin Lux and then a rotation that has the the risk of of falling apart um so I mean it's it's not some impenetrable you know unbeatable team so it's going to be interesting I'm, I'm very fascinated to see what the next moves are and I think they need to offset some of this risk with an innings eater And I do wonder if, you know, they're going to go out and try to find one of those innings eaters.
and I wonder who that is. Is Manny Margot going to be on the bench on opening day? I think it, it'll really come down to Margot versus Michael Bush, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe Margot versus Vargas. I wonder if they're going to make another trade because it's just still like I, I'm trying to see how they're going to continue to create room in, in general. But I think it would be Margot versus Vargas. And you know, if Vargas doesn't take a step forward, I've always liked him as a prospect that you know, I could see them going with the vet and Margot. And they seem to get the most out of guys like Margot, putting him in positions to succeed yeah. and and kind of protecting them like we saw with Hayward. And maybe a platoon with Hayward in a way makes makes some sense with you know Hayward taking the bulk of it. I think Margot hitting lefties and you know, playing some defense and he can play all three spots. I, I'd expect him to, to be able to grab that roster spot. I think he's a little bit more valuable to them defensively than a Vargas. And they don't really care if there's an offensive difference there. No, not at all. Or, um, the Kansas City Royals are kind of fascinating right now. And they've dished out over $100 million in free agent money uh, to Michael Waka, who just signed two years for $32 million. Seth Lugo, who got three for 45. Hunter Renfro, who got two for 13. Chris Stratton, Will Smith, and Garrett Hampson, the Will Smith reliever, not the Will Smith catcher. But that's a lot of buy-in from a team that was probably the second worst in baseball, only ahead of the Oakland Athletics last year. And yeah. I know there was a piece in, in the Athletic kind of talking about the window that they see with, with Bobby Witt as well. Um, but I, I do like this. If there's any division that can just crumble and the Royals can win it at 87 wins, it's this one. And I think they're building a team that 87 is not a far reach at all from. It's not impossible. And that's all that you need at this stage for these young guys. I, I think that there's a ton of value to just having a 23-year-old Bobby Wood Jr., 26-year-old Vinny Pascantino, and some of these other young guys, 26-year-old Cole Reagans, starting the season, going to, to, to camp, MJ Melendez as well. Like Those guys going to camp knowing, hey, we have a chance this year. Right. We have a chance to play for something. We could maybe sneak into the division and, and maybe we can hang around the wild card. It's good for these young players to be able to show up and you know have a little bit more buy-in. I'm not saying these guys aren't bought in. They've been trying to prove themselves and establish themselves as young players, but as a team, right? Trying to win ball games. If you watch Royals games last year, these young guys all like each other a lot and they're all really fun personalities. MJ Melendez is a cool dude. Bobby Witt's a very likable player. Uh Vinny Pascantino is the man. And, you know, you could tell that this core like really likes to play together. And now they have this maybe just pipe dream, but realistic, at least in some sense, pipe dream that they can win something and play with nothing to lose and have a little bit more of a shot. I think that's huge for the development of Bobby Wood Jr., who should never play a game in another uniform. If you have any control over that, if you're the Kansas City Royals and continue to build these guys up. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at the projected starting lineup right now on, on roster resource on fan graphs. And it is going to be Sal Perez catching, Vinny at first, Michael Massey at second, Bobby Witt at short, Michael Garcia at third, who I know that there are, there's a certain facet of, of baseball media that is really bought into Michael Garcia. And I know that Foolish yeah. Baseball is one of those. Uh, MJ Melendez in left, Kyle Isbell in center, Hunter Renfro in right, Nelson Velasquez DHing in a bench of Drew Waters, Dyron Blanco, who flies, Garrett Hampson, and Freddie Fermin. That is... Not the best product in baseball, don't get it twisted, but it, it is a very enjoyable product. And I think you can have a good time watching Royals baseball next year, which I had a good time watching them this year, and they lost 100 games. This is a yeah. way better product. And yeah. you look at the rotation, 
Like, who were you relying on before Reagans got there? They were sitting ducks every night when it came to starting yeah. pitching. But right now it's Reagans, Waka, Seth Lugo, Brady Singer, Jordan Lyles. There's one duck there. Everybody else, I'm kind of interested to watch. Yeah. I think I think that rotation has the potential to be more than fine. I mean, Lugo could be a mid-threes guy. Waka could be a mid-threes guy. Reagans, <laughs> I mean, looks like... He should at least be a mid-threes guy, but could be even better than that. Singer was a weird season from him, but we know he can be a mid-to-high-threes guy. And then Lyles is your five-innings eater. Like, that's fine. So, I mean, he was brutal last year, but you're hoping he can be your number five-innings eater. That's enough. And maybe they can go get one more arm. You know, maybe some of these other young arms finally put it together. Uh, I think that you don't have a reliance on you know, some of the Daniel Lynch's of the world, right? That you don't have to worry about that as much now, which is huge. And if you get something from them, it's it's an added bonus. I think the really interesting thing too with this team is they went out and got Matt Sauer in the Rule 5 draft. I really like that pickup there. We talked about that on the call-up. He could yeah. potentially start. And I think that there's a chance he could be a better option than Lyles. I think he could be a mid to high fours at the very worst rotation piece or a really solid reliever. Uh, yeah. So I think they've kind of put this together nicely. Nick Anderson's an upside arm in the bullpen. You know, you've got Will Smith, as you mentioned, Stratton they add to the bullpen. Carlos Hernandez has shown some flashes. Like they've put together a bullpen that's not the worst in the world either. It was horrible last year through stretches. So I, I'm interested in this team. And I think with how weak the division has kind of looked, the Twins cutting some payroll, you know, I think the Tigers kind of see that. And that's why they're going forward a little bit. I yeah. think this a lot of these other teams here that have been basement dwellers, feel like there's something here where you know, maybe it's attainable. And I thought it was really interesting that the Royals felt so strongly about that, that they were considering reportedly, according to Ken Rosenthal, swapping Vinny Pascantino in a deal for Jesus Lizardo from the Marlins. And, you know, Lizardo comes with less control. Pascantino is a first baseman though. So it's, it's a unique deal in itself, but yeah. I'm personally glad the Marlins didn't do it. I love Vinny, but it shows that the Royals are ready to part with some players that it would hurt to part with if it helps them win now and if they can continue to strengthen this team for the next couple of years. 100%. couple of guys that I forgot about when it came to starting pitching depth too. Anthony Veneziano had you know strong year in AAA, so he could... I'm just thinking about guys that could be better than Jordan Lyles. And Veneziano yeah. is, is one of those guys. Um, Daniel Lynch is one of those guys too. I, I saw him throw pretty well in, in the uh, Dominican Winter League which was interesting. And then Alec Marsh, I know that you have been higher than most on Marsh. But yeah, I love the stuff. He just, yeah, he but like he could still be better than Jordan Lyles. Very possible. He's got way better stuff. Yeah. A um, lot of unknown with this other deal. How do you think the fit's going to be in Arizona for Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? <laughs> I think they could make a World Series run with him. You think so? Uh, Three yeah. for 42 was the number. Lourdes Gurriel is back in a Snakes uniform. My only thought on Guriel, because we don't need to examine the fit or predict how it's going to work or anything, because we know, and it's a good one. My only thought was three for 42. There are so many teams out there that should be kicking themselves for not offering three for 50. This guy's worth yeah. it. And he's 30. He's not 33. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, he grades out kind of strangely, you know, in terms of metrics defensively. And I think that's, you, know, you look at the F4 output, like last year was his best year in an F4 department with a 2.1 F4. Like, that's weird. He's always just, the metrics have kind of hated him defensively, but then when you watch games, I'm sure the jumps just aren't great or whatever, but he makes some athletic grabs. He makes some good plays. And, I mean, you, you saw a career high in homers last year. 
I just think it's a safe, solid bat that you can really count on to give you above average offense. And the defense was, I think, as good as it's ever been for him last year. So that's huge, too. Maybe he finally started to lock in on that a little bit more. And maybe he figured something out. But whatever it was, it was metrically his best defensive season while hitting a career high in homers. Like, yes, he's 30, but it looks like he's kind of settling in as a vet. And, you know, Yuli Gurriel uh, also kind of had some similar as he got older, really started to put it together. And in his late 30s, started to have some of his best seasons. So I think that that might have been something that the Diamondbacks identified and said, let's keep this guy for three more. And I think it's a very safe deal that I am surprised that other teams did not pony up for. I think they probably figured that he'd be around a little bit longer. And a lot of these teams are kind of waiting till January for those middling deals. It's crazy to call 42 million middling, but it really is at this point. And the Diamondbacks made a push and said, if you sign it now, we'll give you this. And um, that was it. And I think it really helps them kind of have a good and clear idea of where they're headed going into 24. And I think it's really good to bring back some of those key guys in that run to try to run it back and, and try to get back there next year. Are we officially at NBA money? Like NBA money is one of those where it's like that guy got that much. I don't think we're there yet. No, no, not even, I, I don't even think close. I think NBA money in terms of AAV is the most comical thing in, in all of sports. It's crazy. Like Hunter Renfro, we would be at NBA money if Renfro got $40 million. Yes. Yes. But he got 13. Yeah. So about okay. right. we're far from it. Um, yeah, man. I Toronto better be prepping a King's ransom for Cody Bellinger. And Seattle better be prepping something amazing. Watching them pass on Lourdes Gurriel. Like those are the two teams where I'm like, that was your guy. And yeah. he's gone. What are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. So we shall see. Um, one more thing before we get into the Rangers and the Mariners kind of playing GM rumor mill. And the only real rumor that, <laughs> that we're going to address, it's not a rumor. Yoshinobu Yamamoto had dinner at Steve Cohen's house on Saturday night <laughs> with David Stearns, Carlos Mendoza, and the pitching coach, Jeremy Hefner. Joel Sherman had that. Um, also, Jim Bowden has sources telling him that the Red Sox and the Giants have offered Yamamoto $300 million plus. This is going to get crazy. I saw teensy rumblings from non-blue check people that, you know, deals could extend to 11 or 12 years. I don't want to believe that yet, but $300 million is a lot of money for a pitcher that might just be where we're at. $300 million deals for pitchers. Is it Cole and that's it? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I can't think of another $300 million deal. And and you know what? I think there's a lot of similarities to Cole in respect to not how they pitch, right? But in terms of durability, you know, knock on wood, but you see what he's done and and how flexible and how effortless you know the, the delivery is. I know he's not big, but I, I again, I think that's overblown to a degree in terms of, you know, height, size, and, and durability. I think there's a lot more intricate things that play a larger part in, in pitcher health specifically. And it seems like Yamamoto kind of checks all those boxes. I feel very confident that he can handle a big time workload and, and do that for the duration of whatever this contract looks like. You think about it, he's 25, eight years. Teams are going to be willing to go more than that. And I think it's going to be one of those things where it's, it's a bidding war, but in the years and it wouldn't shock me if it went to 11 or 12, because He's 36 at the end of that. The problem is, is if it, for whatever reason it doesn't all translate and you know he struggles to to get acclimated, 
now you're on the hook for that long. It, it yeah. seems like there'd have to be some opt-outs there. There'd need to be some mutual options. I don't know. It'd have to be a very unique contract. Because I think that's a really, really long time for a player that we have yet to see play, you know, in the major leagues. So yeah. I struggle to believe that it pushes past 10. But again, there's been so many things that have just absolutely shocked us. So if it happens, I, I don't think I would, you know, pass out. But yeah. I would be very surprised if it's more than 10 just based on the lack of precedent and also just based on the fact that he has not played in the major leagues yet. That's a long time to commit to a, a relatively lower unknown, but still an unknown uh, compared to any other free agent that's going to get that kind of deal. Yeah, and I will say this does feel like all the major markets are whipping themselves into a frenzy or whipping each other into a frenzy right now, just upping the price, upping the price. And I, I love this from Jerry Blevins, who does great work. Um, he said, I've been of the mind that Yamamoto will be a Yankee since he was posted. But the longer his free agency lasts, the more I think Cohen prevails. The more YY Yamamoto pushes for the teams to continue bidding, the more it favors Mets, giving Cohen the chance to sell the franchise and the money, like sell the franchise to Yamamoto, not sell the franchise. Like, I, I do find that argument valid because mm -hmm. I, I think Cohen can be presented with any amount from any team and just say, okay, plus 10. Yep. Yep. And if he's, is, he seems very bought into this, yep. right? He seems like dinner at his house, like man. This, what do you think yeah, they he made? Feels, he feels like Yamamoto can be a difference maker. Yeah. I mean, I don't see how someone outbids them. I've said the Red Sox is my prediction, but before that, I was, was thinking Mets. I think it's one of those two. I, I don't think the Yankees pull it off. I think it's going to be Red Sox or or Mets with a sprinkle of the Giants. But uh, it seems like it's going to be hard to outbid the Mets right now. And now they're doing the courting side of things too. Yeah, It's, it's going to be difficult. Now, if you're hosting Yamamoto in like four or five of his company, do you order food? Do you have your significant other cook? Like, how do you go about that? Oof. I think I order That's... from like my go-to spot. I order. I definitely order. Yeah. yeah. Italian. Quite safe. Order from the best place. Yeah. Easy food that you know everyone's going to like. You probably get options in a little smorgasbord so you can't go wrong. That'd be good. Like probably. the Talladega night spread. You know, Steve like... was laying in bed the night before thinking about that. Like, yeah. Do you think do he was laying in bed? I don't think he lays in bed. I think he has one of those X chairs that I see on TV and he's got like three monitors. And I think he probably had three different menus pulled up there too. Very possible. So yeah, I, I think it's probably like the Talladega Nights spread where it's like, hey, we we thank you for this bountiful harvest of KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, everything like that. So it's a good maybe idea, they actually. did just the, the true Americana thing. Yeah. All right, we are going to get into one more headline as it pertains to the Texas Rangers and then play a little GM with them before wrapping with the Seattle Mariners. Before all that, quick break. Last headline that we got to hit real quick. Max Scherzer underwent surgery, according to Jeff Passan, to repair a herniated disc in his back. He is set to return around the All-Star break in line with Jacob deGrom and Tyler Malley. So that kind of takes us right into playing GM for the Texas Rangers. Before I give you the lowdown and how much space they have to work with before the competitive balance tax and, you know, position by position, what they look like, um, Scherzer being out creates maybe the weirdest starting rotation look. Because on opening day, this thing looks like Ivaldi, John Gray, Andrew Heaney, Dane Dunning, 
and then like Owen White. But then after the All-Star break, it could be DeGrom, Scherzer, Ivaldi, Mally, John Gray. What a yeah. world. I think it's survive the first half and then get going in the second half. I think that's obviously going to be the plan. But I am interested to see if they go get one more arm. I know they've got some unique situations with – I mean, they're, they're obviously willing to spend, but unique situation with where they're at financially. We're going to talk about that, you know, in the – you know, playing GM aspect of it, how close they are to the, the tax threshold, all that good stuff. But I feel like they got to go get one more safety blanket arm. Yeah. But the problem is you do do that and then you get all these guys back and now you have money committed to a player that you can't even really find a spot for. I think that would be a good problem to have and you can cross that bridge when you get there and you can always move an arm or two. So I do wonder if they're going to go out, go out and get maybe one more vet arm that will be available because Owen White took a step back last year, stuff wise. Yeah. And, you know, John Gray, Valdi, Heaney, Dunning, you can kind of get by with that. But if Dunning takes a step back, then you really got to get creative. So I look at their farm system. You know, you hope Jack Leiter can maybe put it together. And he looked really, I think, a lot better in the second half of the season. So maybe there's a world where Leiter, you know, is able to come up and give you kind of short five and dive type starts, but I just don't see that happening in the first half when That's they the need thing. it most. That's the thing. Like if it was the second half and they just needed to survive until September 15th, different story. I trust that Jack Leiter can get there, but out of spring training for the first three months of the season, that's a really tall ask for that guy. Especially when he's just he's finally started to build momentum again as a pro, like you don't yeah. want to just throw him into the fire. So, yeah, I I do think they need to potentially look for one more arm so we can lead into that. But, uh, I mean, they're in a good spot overall. There's not much that needs to be changed. Yeah, let's take care of the offense because flawless. Catching tandem of Jonah Heim. Real quick, let me just run through kind of what they've done so far and then where they're at in terms of financial leeway. Um, what they have done so far, they lost Jordan Montgomery, Aroldis Chapman, Mitch Garver, Robbie Grossman, Travis Jankowski, Matt Bush, Austin Hedges, Martin Perez. Martin Perez might be an option, by the way. Moves so yeah. far. They signed Kirby Yates to one year for four and a half mil. So that bolsters kind of the setup role. They took Carson Coleman in the Rule 5 draft, who's working his way back from an elbow issue. Then they signed Tyler Malley, two for 22. They are at $226 million in terms of total payroll when you account for arbitration estimates and pre-arb estimates. So that puts them about $11 million shy of the projected competitive balance tax at 237. So they're at 226. They've got 11 mil. It seems like they're willing to pay the penalty. But let's go position by position. Offensively, I think nothing needs to be done. Jonah Heim and Sam Huff as the catching tandem. How do you feel about Sam Huff as the backup catcher? He's fine enough as a backup. You know, I'd have to see a little bit more about the defense, but I think it's good enough. He has can run into the baseballs like that's fine. Jonah Heim's like, be catching most of the games. He can 500 foot homer run into baseballs. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, and that's fine. Like I'll take that out of my my backup. And he he had a decent 21 games with them. Like he's gonna strike out 38 percent of the time. That's fine. Yeah, so I, I think that's a good catching tandem overall. Overall, uh, first base Nathaniel Lowe and then Blaine Krim uh, is still on the roster, and um, he's a 40 man guy. He probably won't break camp. But he serves as a backup first base option. Great. No problems there. Second base, Marcus Simeon. It's not like he needs a backup. He plays every day already. But you've got Ezekiel Duran, Jonathan Ornelas, Justin Foscue that you can turn to. Third base, Josh Young. Duran is the backup. Excellent. Shortstop, Corey Seager. Ornelas and Duran is the backup. Excellent. 
outfield starting trio as it stands right now of Evan Carter, Leody Tavares, Adolis Garcia. That can change during spring training. There's one guy that can force himself into that fold and push Leody into that fourth spot, and it's Wyatt Lankford. And we talked yeah. about that a couple weeks ago. Bruce Bochy said he, he said he and Chris Young are aligned that this guy is going to go in in an open competition. And if he performs, he can make the roster on opening day. And he can start on opening day. So if it's Carter, Lankford, Adolis, is it Carter in left, Lankford in center, Adolis in right? Or do you flip-flop Carter to put him in center and then Lankford in left? So I think you got to put Langford in the corner for sure. Obviously, Carter Carter could probably play a good center field. Obviously, Leody's kind of been that defensive guy for them for a while, and he plays probably the best center field. So the interesting thing for me is, I think you could have a Wyatt Langford make the team, and you have a rotation here of of outfielders because there's two things that I'm not worried about, but like there's two unproven's I think or two variables in this offense that I think above most of the others, because you feel pretty confident that Semyon's going to be Semyon, Seager's going to be Seager, Garcia's going to be Garcia, Josh Young even at this point, I think has kind of showed it up that he's going to be fine next year and same with Lowe and Haim, et cetera. Evan Carter, we got to see what he's going to do over the course of an entire season. I think he showed some really good things, but we got to see him do it over the course of an entire season to just see if he's, if he's an everyday player. The one thing we know that he can't do at this point is hit lefties. And obviously, I think he's a really, really good player. I think he's going to have a really nice season and probably has a great shot at winning rookie of the year. He's going to be an everyday player for a very long time and make a bunch of all-star games, or at least a handful. My thing is, if it doesn't all come together for a 21-year-old excuse me, next year, the way that it looked in a flash, then all of a sudden, I mean, a win-now team, they got to start getting creative. But even let's say Carter's good against righties. You have Leody, who I mean, at the end of the day is, I don't think, ever really had a league average offensive season. So if he drops off a little bit offensively, Leody kind of gets relegated to that that fourth outfield role. You could have Langford in a corner, but even if you wanted to play Leody, you could have Langford taking those left-on-left at-bats from Carter because, again, he has not done it at all uh, professionally. I mean, at the big league level and in the minors, he really struggled. So Langford already gets a chunk of ABs there. Then he could also get ABs when you just like his matchup better than Leody being in there. So then you shift Carter into center. And then even if you wanted to have an outfield with those guys, you could put Duran on the bench and put Lankford at DH. So there's a lot of different ways where I think you can mix and match here. And even if Lankford doesn't have a clear cut spot on roster resource, he could be playing five times a week. He takes DH at bats. He takes, he basically takes at bats from everybody in the outfield slash DH other than Dolis, who would just stays in right. Yes. I think you could find a lot of at-bats for that guy, even if he's not starting on opening day right away. Um, and I think that's why they're ultimately going to have him on the roster. And I like his bat way more than Leody's going, even going into next year. And I think he could be a better offensive option over 162 than Evan Carter in terms of the power and the field of hit kind of blended together. Yeah. And I'm, I'm speaking for you right now, but Adolis's bat isn't bad. Like you don't, dislike Adoli or uh, not Adoli, Leody. Uh, Leody Tavares. Like you don't dislike Leody Tavares as, as a contributor to the Texas Rangers. It's just no. Langford is that good already. So he's going to be an upgrade. Leody is immediately the best fourth outfielder in baseball. If they do go with that three person outfield rotation and then relegate Leody to the bench, but you still have Josh H. Smith. You still have Dustin Harris on the way up. 
Um, JP Martinez had a great year and I know he's 27, 28 years old, but he swiped 38 bags in like 70 games. So there are so many pieces offensively. You don't need to touch this offense. The pitching is where you're going to have to touch it. And we ran through the rotation. I think they're probably looking for a one-year deal guy that is going to be healthy right away. And a lot of the one-year deal guys that I think could make sense are not going to be healthy right away. Like Vince Velasquez is not healthy. Vince Velasquez makes a lot of sense as a one-year deal, but um, this might just be a wash year. And then, you know, he gets healthy, he works on his own, and then he resigns in 2025. I think your guy, Uesawa, makes a lot of sense here. And the Rangers do have a track record of doing this, not just with you, Darvish, but with Kohei Arihara, too. Like, they're willing to go tap into that, you know, unknown market. And, and I think Naoki Uesawa would be a good fit because you know that he's going to come over. You know that he can throw six innings. And that's what you need for three months. And it's a relatively cheap price point because there's so much unknown and he doesn't throw 98. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, he might be the guy that we end up throwing around a lot this year. Like, that's the name we we, we move around. But he's kind of the perfect guy, to, as you mentioned, to kind of spell some of these other arms. It's just a totally different look. It's more, I think he could be a better version of kind of what they got. I mean, maybe not a better version. I think he could be exactly what they got from Dane Dunning last year. And maybe yeah. a better version of what they get this year from Dunning. I, I think he's a good fit. I think that's a, a really interesting arm to, to mix in there. I would have loved a Severino type on a one year, prove it yeah. again. If that's your five, that's fine. And I'm looking at some other arms that could be kind of one year candidates. Uh, a hit Hyunjin Ryu could be an interesting one, uh, just as a guy that you can you know, throw in there. Frankie Montas on, on a prove it deal would be interesting as well, right? What better situation to be on a prove it deal than the defending champion? So they might be able to get away with you know, not shelling out the, the biggest deal, but maybe matching whatever the best offer is, probably going to pick them. So something like that, I could see any of those arms being of interest, maybe even a James Paxton, but I think he's going to command multiple years after how he looked last year. But there's some injury concern there. There's enough arms and, and options where I think they could identify a one-year guy and get him at their price point, which is pretty much all they, they need to do. And yeah, I think the most important thing here is that they have Lankford in there on opening day. I really think he could be a difference maker and they should have him you know, have the time to get acclimated. But I also think Carson Coleman, if healthy, and I think he's going to be healthy, is a really good bullpen arm that can throw multiple innings for them and plug and play. Uh, I loved that Rule 5 selection for them, a guy that just got a ridiculous amount of whiff on his fastball when he was healthy. So I kind of like where this bullpen's starting to to be at. I I think it's not – it really depends what they get from spores in the regular season, and I think that's the question. But rotationally, if they go get Uwasawa, Ryu, any of those guys, I feel pretty good about it. Overall. And nobody and nobody should have more confidence than Josh Bors coming into this year. Like this guy proved his worth in the postseason, and now it's a matter of doing it over 162 when you're not on Fox every night. And it's Leclerc, Spores, Yates, Brock Burke, Grant Anderson. You got Antoine Kelly kind of waiting in the wings. He's a 40-man ad. Carson Coleman, like you mentioned. Um, if they want to stay close to the tax or under the tax, you don't have to do anything. If they want to go over the tax and get noticeably better, Hater's the perfect fit, and you just move everybody forward in inning. So Hater turns into the closer. Leclerc is the ninth inning or is the eighth inning guy. Spores is the seventh inning guy. So on and so forth. Yeah, they're paying and, eight. And, four and I and love that. Feet. Yeah, 
I love that because Leclerc, like he was great last year, and, and I know he even came through in the postseason. But I, there's yeah. something about the, the the way he gets his like the saves, so, and it's 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 a little bit of a roller coaster ride. He walks yeah. guys; he's not as many swings and misses as you'd think. For his, I, I just like him a lot more as a setup guy, and I like Spores obviously as a setup guy. If they went out and got a closer, that'd be fantastic. But you know, I don't see them shelling out that kind of money for Hater. Maybe they could backload it a little bit. I don't know. Probably unlikely, and that's why I think they ended up taking a, a reliever arm in the rule five. Like most teams that are this good don't usually make rule five selections. Uh, generally, you never know. They might really like a guy and this might've been one of those cases, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation here where I don't think they spend much more money. I also was looking at it. Like, could they make a trade dude? Because they do have a unique situation here where Duran is kind of being, I think underutilized if he is on your bench, because that's a guy I know he struggled in the second half, but he can play several positions, key positions too, shortstop, center field, all over the infield. He can run a little bit. He has some power. He's only 24. Like that could be a trade chip for you. And you get teams out there that don't even have a respectable shortstop for next year. Like Duran could start at shortstop for the Marlins next year, right? Yeah. And like, if you could put together a deal and go get one of Marlins arms, why not consider that? The Marlins need a shortstop. Duran and, you know, you could play around, look at different options, Duran, Josh H. Smith, whoever else, try to put together a package with some prospects as well. And even an Edward Cabrera, or I don't know which arm the Marlins are most willing to part with, but clearly they're open to almost any of them. From what I understand, the Marlins, if they make a trade, it's going to be for prospects or young guys. They're not trying to just push right back to the playoffs. I could see like a Justin Foscue, who's also kind of blocked and stuck there in AAA. There's a few different guys that I think could be of help to the Marlins, but I see Duran and a swap for an arm that would be cheap for them. makes a lot of sense. Can I ask you, so Tanner Scott has one more year of control. Tanner Scott's coming off a great year. What do you think it costs for Tanner Scott? Jonathan Ornelas? I think more. I think he was one of the best relievers in in the sport last year. I was surprised he he wasn't nominated for reliever of the year, to be honest. He had better better numbers than Emmanuel Classe and and other guys. Um, I think it would be... You think it's Ezekiel Duran? Yeah, I honestly do. If the Marlins have to attach a prospect, like sure. But, you know, the way Duran kind of faded, the way he's kind of stuck here, I, I think that Scott in a, in, a, in a solid prospect should be able to potentially get you Ezekiel Duran. I don't think that's crazy. You want to do it? You want to do Duran for Tanner Scott just for the hypothetical? Kind of like that. Yeah. Kind of like it too. Let's run we through. We throw in a prospect. I'm yeah, sure. But like that yeah. prospect's not going to be on the opening day roster. I, I want to run through what the Rangers opening day roster looks like with with these moves right now. So starting lineup, Heim catching, low at first, Semyon at second, Seeger at short, Young at third. Um, you're going to have Carter in left. We'll call it Tavares in center, Adolis in right, Wyatt Langford is your DH. Your bench would be Sam Huff, Jonathan Ornelas, Josh H. Smith, and J.P. Martinez. Um, your starting rotation is going to be Nathan Ivaldi, John Gray, Andrew Heaney, Dane Dunning, Hyunjin Ryu. Let's give him Ryu with DeGrom due back, back half of the season, Mally due back at the All-Star break, uh, and Scherzer due back at the All-Star break. And then the bullpen turns into Tanner Scott as your closer, Jose Leclerc as your setup guy, Josh Spores as your seventh inning guy, and then Kirby Yates, Brock Burke, Grant Anderson, Jonathan Hernandez as the guys that round it out. I think that team is better than the one that just won the World Series. Yeah, I do too. And it could even get better and better and better with how these young guys perform. Like I do think Evan Carter, 
may have some growing pains, but I think in the second half, he could be a monster. He might not even have some, you know, sophomore, it's still his rookie year, but like second stint adjustment. If he, if he doesn't, then you feel really good, but then throwing a Lankford in there who has the upside to be a three win, four, one player in his rookie year, uh, being able to have homers. some of these other guys, these young guys also continue to mature and, in a Josh Young and even Nathaniel Lowe, the way he was able to kind of, I think, really capture the the good spurts that he had before and and finish that way too. Like there's there's a lot of interesting pieces here. So yeah, I don't know exactly what the value of Ezekiel Duran is because it's tough. But if you make a somewhat of a larger deal there, and you know the general swap on the big league side is Duran for Scott, like I think that does help hedge some of the uncertainty with the rotation in the first half. Where if your bullpen's nails then you can get by with, you know, a, a shaky rotation up until a lot of those exciting arms come back. And that bullpen with a new closer is way better than it was last year. And I would oh, yeah. consider that in the nails category. And I just uh, kind of the closer by committee situation where you can have yeah. Scott close. Sometimes he can also come in in the eighth. If there's lefties, you know, up front there and then spores closes it out or Quirks closes it out. Like I like the ability to have three different guys that could come in and, and shut it down. But Scott could kind of be the de facto closer for them. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's do Seattle quick. The Seattle Mariners, they've got about $100 million to work with. Their estimated payroll right now, when you take in arbitration, pre-arbitration estimates is $136 million. Again, CBT 237. So they're $101 million shy of that. They lost to Oscar Hernandez to free agency, Tom Murphy to free agency, Dominic Leone and Mike Ford. I don't think you're missing the last two, but you do lose your backup catcher and a corner outfielder that you gave up a decent pit for. The move so far, they traded Isaiah Campbell to Boston for Luis Urias, who's been now been DFA twice. They dumped salary, moving Eugenio Suarez to Arizona for Carlos Vargas, who could factor into their bullpen, and Sebi Zavala, who takes over for Tom Murphy as the backup catcher. Then they traded Jared Kelnick, Marco Gonzalez, and Evan White to Atlanta for Jackson Coar and Cole Phillips. That was a money dump as well. As it stands right now, Catching tandem, Cal Raleigh and Sebi Zavala. They acquire Blake Hunt as well, who is like the third catcher slash the starter in Tacoma. Feel fine enough with that. You hope Raleigh catches 130 games, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's your guy. You, you, yeah. yeah, you don't you don't really the back. That's going to be one of the less utilized backups out there, I think. I think so. Ty France at first base. Second base is kind of a whole bunch of C plus maybe C Josh Rojas, Jose Caballero, Sam Haggerty, Dylan Moore, Luis Arias at third base. Those two got to get fixed quick, quick. Yeah. JP yeah. Crawford's the shortstop bliss is the backup. Like I think bliss can be the second baseman. I think bliss can be, but that's still like a, you know, he, he didn't perform very well offensively in the Arizona fall league, which is probably the, the situation where they were kind of hoping he could instill more confidence in them, you know, penciling him in for, for 2024. So that part of it's interesting. And then you, know, you look at like, I think there's a lot of positions that they need to look at. And the craziest thing is right now we're, we're at the point where Ty France, like we should be looking to potentially upgrade over Ty France, but there's other positions that they need to legitimately just fill in at this point yeah. to be able to be competitive. And I was, I'm under the assumption still, like I know that they're, clearly slashing payroll and Jeff Passens alluded to it in terms of like, he feels bad for Mariner fans. But my question is, are they not going to reinvest some of it? I feel like they have to reinvest some of that. And I know we've seen some reports linking guys like, you know, Reese Hoskins to them. And, and I'm looking at first base targets. That makes a lot of sense, but they also just need corner outfield bats. Like how much confidence do you have in 
Cade Marlowe and Dominic Canzone. Are those going to be your two corner outfield bats? There's no can't way. Can't and be. then at third, so those are three of the most important offensive positions, left field, right field, third base, and then first base. So you could say four. And I mean, the best option out of all of those is Ty France, who really, you know, was underwhelming last year at first base. We could talk about second base, but honestly, I'm more concerned about the fact that you look at roster resource right now, you got Taylor Trammell in the DH spot, which is probably not going to happen. You got Canzone in right field. You got Marlowe in left. Well, also give me league average offense. I'm okay with that. I'm more concerned about the corners here where Guriel, as you mentioned, was probably one of their better options. Now he's not available. I know that there's been rumors about, you know, Reese Hoskins being an option, but you know, Again, that doesn't really totally answer the situation here. Like, where else are you looking? Are you looking at a, a TA on a bounce back and stick him at third? Like, mm-hmm. like what can you possibly do if you're not going to spend with the best of them and you're you're somewhat limited? I, I think a Tommy Pham makes sense. Yeah, in a corner, but like, like that's I, not fun, man. They were so close. Like, get put yourself over the edge, and we got so excited because we thought that they were going to make a real go. At Juan Soto, we thought that they were going to make a go at Jung Hu Lee, and all of a sudden, Soto's off the board, Lee's off the board, and now Guriel's off the board too. How do you do this? And I just I don't know how they downscale and don't have any plan at getting attainable pieces that are upgrades. And, and the one that yeah. still jumps out to me is Isak Paredes. Like, if that guy's still available, you do everything in your power to do that. And then you just add Luis Arias to the second base turnstile that now becomes mm-hmm. four at hell five with Arias, Rojas, Caballero, Moore, Haggerty. I think I think it has to be a trade. And then I think there needs to be one free agent signing in there too. Yeah. I, I, I like they're already lefty heavy regardless, but whoever you sign, not lefty heavy, but in the roster resource at this present moment, it's lefty heavy, but whoever you sign is going to plug in for one of those lefties and Canzone, Marlowe or Trammell. I think you got to go get Jock Peterson. West coast helps, right? He's staying on the West coast there. You go get Jock. I think that's within the, Hey, we trim the payroll enough this year where they're still, they're still saving compared to to where they were before. I mean, they've, they've cleared like $40 million almost worth of money for next year. Go pay a Jock Peterson, who's going to obviously be a, a fan favorite in a lot of ways, and I do think gives them you know some some important power there as well. And then I think you could go make a trade for Paredes. I think those are the two moves that make the most sense. You need a right-handed bat, I think, if you're going to go get a left-handed bat as well to kind of even things out. And you got Paredes at third. You add Jock Peterson there. All of a sudden, this offense looks a lot more solid, and I think you can feel a lot more confident about you know what you got going for you there. What do you think the price of Paredes is? Do you think it's one of the starters? Do you think it's Miller or Wu? I think that the Rays are going to try for that. How many years of control is Paredes again? Is it, is it two? No, I think it's four. Four. Yeah, then it's going to be it's going to be one of those guys. It's going to be a Wu. It's going to be. I'll it's tell going you to be right one now. of those key guys. And the problem is, is, is I don't love Paredes overall as a fit in Seattle because. He's not a guy that's going to hit moon tanks, right? It's, it's a deep left. Yeah. Get into pull side homers that I think it translates in a lot of places, but it could potentially not translate the same way in, in Seattle. So he's a super two guy. So he's got four years of control, but all four arbitration years. His arb estimate on spot track right now is 4.1. 
So that'll be the starting point. So it's, you know, four and then you add. So so you don't that would negate the value a little bit. It would. And I'm just wondering if, you know, it, maybe it does take a woo, but could they piece together a package with Hancock instead and make it happen? Potentially. You know, I, and, and I, we just can't answer for Tampa because we don't know if they even like Hancock. You know what I mean? Like other teams, I think we can immediately pencil in Hancock as a headliner, but with Tampa, they may just not like what he does. He's not a yeah. data darling. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I will just admit to yapping here because uh, he, according to baseball savant, would have had 28 home runs in in Seattle. So it yeah, just but he had to... 30 in Tampa. So yeah, that's fair enough. But like he would have had nine in in Baltimore. So really, like, if it's yeah, so if it's not like a <laughs> a huge drop off, that's perfectly fine then. So maybe he is a decent fit. Um, it, it's a really unique profile. But speaking, yeah, hey, assuming they they don't quick. love Hancock. Sorry. No, real quick. Speaking of getting fucked by Baltimore, Ryan Mountcastle could be a nice fit in Seattle. He could, he could, he could be a good fit there, but I, ugh. that's not a bad option. I just, are they ever going to actually make that trade? And, and, and think about, I mean, that the pitching that they'd be giving up, that, that does make sense. They could go get a Mountcastle and Hancock would almost be too much. I think Mountcastle's pretty low cost in terms of, of, of an acquisition, but then are you putting, are you putting him at DH? Are you putting him at first base and then tie France DHs? Like what's, what's the situation there? I don't know. I mean, just grab two DH caliber bats. They need another DH caliber bat. Yeah. So trade for Mount Castle. Yeah. Trade for Paredes. Fuck. Did the, you don't. So you think that Mount Castle for Hancock straight up is an overpay on Seattle's end? I think it can be because I, mean, I think Mount Castle can be very good. But he's obviously dealt with like some some weird injuries, whether it was like the vertigo and then physical injuries and things like that. He is a little bit limited defensively, uh, it, but he did still turn in a 780 OPS last year. And he, he was one of the best. He might have been the best hitter in baseball against left-handed pitching, too. He OPSed well over a thousand, which is a, is a good balance to them. And he comes with control with these three yeah, years, 24, 25, 26. Yeah, actually, I don't think that's an overpay at all. Um, I think. I, I, for whatever reason, thought he only came with like one or two years, two more years of control. Oh, so, I mean, if you throw in Hancock and, and maybe another piece, I think you can pull that off. Uh, it, it's not like it, there's a lot of teams, you know, trying to knock down their door for, uh, for oh, Ryan yeah. Mountcastle and, and Hancock could help that rotation this coming season. You know, it's not established, but you know, I, I don't think you're getting an established young arm for, for, you know, Mountcastle. So yeah, let's say Hancock in a, in a prospect. Okay. And then do you still go for Paredes if you do that? No. You say no. I say no. And what do you do at third? I think you just roll. I don't with think it. Ty France can play there. Can he? No, I think you just roll with what you got, <laughs> which sucks. That's it. I think You're you done? roll with some sort of turnstile. I mean, you sign jock, but then I think you roll with the turnstile of Rojas, Urias, you know, can Dylan Moore hop over there? You could, you could try. I mean, he hasn't played much third base in, in or, the last few years. You could try Ty France at third. Or you say yes to Blake Snell's please to be a Seattle Mariner. And then you do trade Brian Wu for Isak Paredes. Yeah. Or, or even aim higher than that. So, but it just seems so unrealistic that they're going to do that now at this point. I don't I just, think they do it. 
No, with the way that Passon's saying, like, I feel bad for them. Like, I don't think he feels that very optimistic that they're going to go out and spend unless something just like totally changes. I have a feeling he has a pretty good pulse on where ownership's at there right now. So I think you trade for Mountcastle. His offense will tick up just being out of there because he likes to get into a pull side. And that's obviously the worst place to be. Yeah. Then you, I get like, you're going to, so who's playing third for you opening day? Urias probably. I know. It's not fun. There's only so much. Yeah. And sign jock. Sign jock, trade for Mount Castle. And call it right there. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. It's sad, man. Well, it's interesting. Here, here's my last question, though. You have Castillo, Gilbert, Kirby, Miller, and Wu. Then you're going to return Robbie Ray at some point in in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. I guess you just cross that bridge when you get there. If you guys are performing well, you guys being the Mariners, then you could go make that Wu trade or go make that Miller trade. Sure. He says, maybe don't do it before you know when Ray's going to come back and and all that good stuff. That's my thing, because if you do trade Hancock and then you trade Wu as well, who's your five? Yeah, you don't have a five. You don't have one. Yeah. Yeah, you really don't have a reliable one, at least. That's for sure. Jackson (laughs) Coar. Yeah, shit. I don't want to Yeah, okay, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) So that's it. We're going to get them. I mean, I love the jock fit. I really do. And then... I don't think they go get Arias if they weren't uh, kind of wondering if they were actually going to go get a third baseman. So yeah, I like I like that. At the end of the day, that does make them a lot more balanced offensively. And you get a lefty masher, you get a righty masher uh, yeah. in Mountcastle and and Peterson, and you don't touch that rotation. And then if you really if Ray comes back and looks good, then push the chips forward, trade Wu or Miller, and go get a, a stud. You know, go get somebody that can really make a difference for you. Yeah. Um, bullpen. I don't think you need to do anything with the Seattle bullpen. It's good year over year, maybe a different cast of characters, but don't care. Andres Munoz is one of the best relievers in baseball. Matt Brash looks nasty as a setup guy. You got Topa, Spire, Thornton, Saucedo. Like, you're good. Prelander Baroa is waiting as well. Vargas is waiting as well. Ty Adcock. Like, th- there's so much depth there. They can figure out five guys are, that are going to work. Yeah. And, and I'm interested to see, you know, Jackson Coward, the reliever, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. maybe that fastball, it's it's not great shape, but maybe it ticks up to the upper 90s and and maybe that, that changeup plays up a little bit more too. Maybe the slider plays up a little bit more. I, I, maybe he's better as a reliever. It didn't really work too well last year as a reliever, but it maybe change the scenery, another chance out of the bullpen. See, see how it all looks. Yep. All right. So the lineup that we just put together for them, Cal Raleigh catching. You want Mountcastle or France playing first base? I... Whoever grades up better match. Oh, well, well, I think they're both like kind of eh defensively, yeah. but all right. We'll, France we'll, at first. We'll keep, we'll keep France at first. Yeah. So Raleigh catching France at first. Um, Josh Rojas at second. JP Crawford at short. Luis Arias at third. Uh, Jack Peterson in left or Peterson in right? I think Peterson in left. Okay. So Peterson in left. Julio in center. Either Cade Marlowe, Taylor Trammell, or Dominic Canzone in right. I hate that they're all lefties. I know. <laughs> I know, but like, it's all right. Whatever. But then you can plug Mountcastle in the outfield uh, against a lefty. Yeah. Occasionally. And then who's de- who's de-aging for you then? I... Maybe you Oof. just have Caballero DH. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Jeez, man. Haggerty, Dylan Moore. 
Um, so yeah, one of those guys in right field. And then the bench is Sebi Zavala, Caballero, Haggerty, Dylan Moore. And then the rotation stays the exact same right now. You can flip Miller or Wu for a good third baseman at the deadline when Robbie Ray comes back healthy and that bullpen, no change either. So I, no. it, it's, it's still disappointing. There's still, I'm still more pessimistic about them now than I was at the beginning of the 2023 season. Yeah. Having said that for a team that's shedding a bunch of payroll, that's probably the best we can do. Yeah. And I think the value of the exercise is there's just a couple pieces can still make them, you know, pretty solid contenders. It just, it can't look like that from five onward. And, you know, I would love to see them push the chips forward a little bit more. I'd love to see them maybe look at a Solaire uh, and, and plug him at the DH spot. But yeah, I just think what he's going to cost won't be justifiable for them considering that they're cutting guys like Gino and, you know, just that weren't even that expensive. So I, I think that's, probably the most likely scenario but they could do something a little bit more inspiring and and that would be nice but jock would be a really good get for them and and i think it's a good fit overall and mount castle has the potential to hit you 30 plus if jock is playing like jock and mount castle hits you 30 plus this team could could be better than it was last year because you know the guys that we thought could do that last year didn't do that for them and tay oscar and you know some of the other pieces that we were hoping would make more of an impact even a colton Wong. yeah but it's almost like you have to spend money to be good yeah, sometimes. Yeah. You, you know, you can't spend all of your money and win a championship, but you can definitely you definitely need to spend money to uh to get above the I guess the the, the line of, of mediocrity. The 75 win marker. Yeah. 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 And and they've done that. Now that's just off of what they've built. Now spend to put yourselves over the top. And um I, I hope they do that because Seattle fans deserve better than you know, what they're currently prepared to put out on, on the field on opening day, which I know it'll be better than this. Yeah. We got a taste. Like I just, I just want them to commit to it. And if you can't commit to it right now with that pitching staff, I don't know when you do commit to it, but it's a conversation for another day, I guess. Aram, Jack, every link you need is in the episode description. Go get your merch. I think we're planning a, a nice little flash sale. Um, right before the holidays, which is going to be great. So uh, we've got a bunch of hoodies that must go. So if you don't have a Just Baseball hoodie or a shirt, uh, you have your chance to get one at a really solid price point. Every other link you need, again, is in our episode description, in our link tree. uh, And we will talk to you on Wednesday.